Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more info, you can check us out on Facebook at Life Church of Columbia. So, as you can see, camp was absolutely amazing. Uh, I made the statement before we left I wanted camp to be a chance for these students to have an encounter that was their own. So, um, when they got into wherever they were going to be in this world, Somebody couldn't convince them otherwise. Because I found out if your commitment or your understanding of God is based on your intellect, then there's somebody smarter than you that can change your mind. It's easy to sit right here in this room and be like, oh, not me. I know what I believe. It's just because we haven't encountered the right person yet. But too often there's actually a... I don't know, I guess you may call it an epidemic of students who are raised in church, been in church all their lives, but get to college, find an atheist professor, which if you don't know, most colleges are atheist professors. Just something to be aware of when your kid's getting ready to go. So one, either find out where they really need to go or make sure they're spiritually strong enough to stay where they're going. I mean that with everything inside of me. We've put education above everything else, and it's their very education that's drawing most kids out of the church. Did you know, I didn't plan to do any of this, but we're here now. Did you know the greatest exodus in the church is is young adults from the age 18 to 23? Guess what age that is? College. Because most students are leaving church with an intellectual assent to what God is because no one above them ever gave them the real encounter. And that's on us. So when we went to camp this year, I said, I want something that's so real when they get back, no one can talk them out of it. Because you might could change my mind, but you can't change my experience. And if I experienced it, then you can't tell me otherwise. It's not about what I just know. It's about something that is so real, it begins to change. And for so many of these students, we actually sat in our living room last night with several of them sharing a little more personal and, and deep uh, testimonies in our living room of just things that happen in their life and man it's just that's what this whole thing is about so you that support you pray you give you that do all that this is why we do it it's not just because this is what we do it's a Sunday thing no this is what we do you see this whole generation sitting up here in the front of this church this is what we do uh, I'm really excited about that I need to let you know before I get into this today Uh, A couple of things that we do have going on are coming up. Uh, First of all, tomorrow night. Remember, we've been planning a what Dad is calling a VIP meeting, which is Vision Impact Personnel. Uh, So tomorrow night we'll be gathering back here at 6 o'clock. That will be be a, what do you call that? I'm trying to find the right word. Uh, A night to just find the kingdom vision for Life Church, Like, what is the direction? The Bible says, uh, write the vision, make it plain so those who read it can run. Uh, we need to know what we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, and we want to do everything based on the kingdom of God. Why is it, why do we do the things we do and what is the direction? So that's what tomorrow night will be about. If you want to be in that, be a part of that, uh, come join us. Also, we have a revival weekend coming up, July 23rd and 24th. Uh, that'll be a Saturday evening and a Sunday morning here. Uh, we are actually bringing in Pastor Joel Garza. I'm telling you, if you haven't heard this guy preach yet, you want to be here. I think I've heard him three times now, and each time I've went to Dad and said, this could be my favorite preacher, and I had to change it real quick. I said, I mean, my second favorite, because, you know, I didn't want to hurt Dad's feelings. No, I'm kidding. This, for real, though, he is coming. He is not going to come give you some patty cake religious message. He's fixing to bring a word, so plan to be here. That's July 23rd and 24th. That'll be Saturday evening and Sunday morning. And then on July 24th, that evening, we'll kick off our Bible school. Uh, There's a name for that, right? Vacation Bible School. I was like, I know there's more to that. Uh, Vacation Bible School, which is for all, we just had summer camp for all of our older kids. This will be the Vacation Bible Schools for all of our younger kids, elementary kids. Uh, So if you have kids that age, you want them to be a part of it, you can get with uh, Pastor Lindsay, I'm assuming. Uh, get them signed up and ready for that, or if you're volunteering or want to volunteer, uh, get with one of them, help out. It's always a really good time. I think it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. 
Yeah, Sunday through Wednesday. Uh, so it's, it's going to be really good. Uh, can I share a little bit with you all this morning? To me, tomorrow, tomorrow, to me, tomorrow, to me today has already been more than enough. Uh, I think with the just the amazing worship, half the kids shared my message. So if you haven't realized yet, we're going to talk about repentance this morning. So you kind of already got a heads up. That's why you wanted to go first, because you knew you were going to steal my stuff, huh? <laughs> uh, I want to I share some things with you this morning. I want to deal with, like, they, like you heard them talk about, repentance, really opening it up, really thinking about it. It's a topic that I've bounced around before. I've talked about some. But preparing for summer camp, God just really pulled me back into this and let me know. I, I, I knew immediately God was telling me, you need to take the first night. Uh, so I went to Pastor Lindsay, uh, was, uh, Pastor Anita, went to them. I was like, hey, if you don't mind, I would like to take the first night. I feel like it's the, just going to be the springboard for the rest of the week for these students. And he just took me into repentance and just said, hey, first night of camp, we're just going to deal with it head on. We're going to start from where we need to be so that the rest of the camp can be everything that it's intended to be. So today I want to bring you in on that journey afterwards. Uh, for one, since camp, I've just heard so many responses from the students on what this revelation is doing in their own personal lives. So I knew right away, I was like, I want to bring this back to the church. I want to share it with you guys. Uh, and so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 3. Jason will take you there. My title, uh, you've probably seen it, was Repent for the Kingdom. Matthew chapter 3, I'm going to just read verses 1 and 2. This is John the Baptist, or talking of John the Baptist. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice the phrase, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Next, we're going to do Matthew 4 and 17. First, we had John the Baptist preaching. Now Jesus is on that scene. On the scene from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus shows up. John has already set the stage, prepared the John the Baptist has already showed up, set the stage, prepared the way for Jesus. He did it with this message. John the Baptist showed up with a single message, and it was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He prepared the way, and Jesus shows up and does not change the message. Jesus shows up, and the first thing he begins to go at is, Well, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is so important because you have to understand the timeline of this, that this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's just getting Started, So I need you to see the progression, the, the, I'm going to use the word, the evolution of his message as he goes on through his life. So he starts with, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is important. Uh, this is the way I kind of showed it to the, to the students that night we were there. Eli, come up here. So when he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you could actually break that down to a visual representation of what I'm doing right now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it's within reach. When it says at hand, it means from wherever I'm at in the moment, by hand, I could reach the kingdom of heaven in this moment. So Jesus shows up and begins to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is this close. Stay right here with me. The very, if you were to really just break it down and get totally technical with it, you would see it's readily accessible when needed, is what at hand would mean here. Or it would mean it's close in time, or it's about to happen. So Jesus shows up and says, I need you to repent because the kingdom of heaven is readily accessible. It's within reach and it's available when needed. It's at this time and it's about to happen. These are all the things that are summed up in this. Now I know us in our American language, we just read this and see the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's close, maybe it's about to happen or whatever. But when Jesus was speaking, every word was so intentional. Every phrase was on purpose, and he didn't miss any opportunities. So he's letting them know, I need you to repent because the kingdom of heaven, which you already know about, could be this close to you right now. But even though I'm this close, I'm readily accessible, I'm within reach, if the reach is never made or the contact never happens, 
then as powerful as that kingdom may be, it's ineffective in Eli's life. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, you can sit down. Thank you, bud. You did so good. You're such a great model. So Jesus shows up, but notice the terminology. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I noticed something that this is way different than the repent message that I've heard most of my life. Because the message I heard all my life was repent or you're going to go to hell. Jesus didn't even put hell on the table. Jesus wasn't even dealing with sin. He wasn't dealing with you spending an eternity in hell. He wasn't dealing with any of these things. He shows up and decides the first message, which if you read on, Jesus makes a phrase a whole lot of times where he says, the gospel of the kingdom. Not the gospel of saving you from hell. The gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus shows up and says, I need you to change something because of the kingdom of heaven, not because of your depravity and sin. See, we were taught, our gospel was preached that you got to repent because you're going to hell. So we became so focused on hell. As a matter of fact, we became so focused on hell that we bought into the revelation of a guy named Dante, who wasn't even a believer, but we've decided everything we know about hell, we learned about him, and we used hell as a tactic to scare you into telling God that you're sorry. And this became the gospel. If I can make hell scary enough for you, then you'll tell God you're sorry and you'll try to be a better person. Well, how's that working for you? Jesus didn't even mention hell. John the Baptist didn't either. They showed up and said, you know why you really need to repent? You need to repent because the, hev- the, the kingdom of heaven is this close to you. You know what was more... How do I say that? In other words, to them, you know what was worse than going to hell? Being this close to heaven and never getting it. But we're so hell conscious. Everything's about hell. Everything's about missing hell. We made the cross about hell. We made resurrection about hell. We made everything about hell. And Jesus, did you know in your Bible that the word kingdom in the New Testament, just the New Testament, the word kingdom is mentioned 182 times? That's a lot, in case you didn't notice. It's mentioned 182 times. And I believe it's, let's see, six. 81 of them, I should have wrote that down, Jesus says it. Almost half of every mention of the kingdom is mentioned in the New Testament by Jesus. Jesus came trying to get you to believe in something that they thought was so far away. So he shows up and uses this word repent, which we also hijacked. And held on to a half-truth. And we were raised to think that repent means go and tell God you're sorry. Ask for forgiveness. That is a truth. That's a portion of the truth. But the word repent in your Bible is actually the word Eli told us earlier, metanoia. And the word metanoia actually means to change the way you think. So Jesus and John the Baptist were actually showing up saying, I need you to change the way you think because the kingdom of heaven is not where you think it is. The kingdom of heaven is not far, far away. God is not millions of miles from you and you have to beg him to get close. Jesus said, I'm going to need you to change the way you think because it's actually right here. It's actually this close. And he doesn't show up saying, I need you to repent so bad so you don't burn in hell. He was actually showing up saying, I want you to repent so bad because heaven is so close to you. And most Christians may die and go to heaven, but you will live your whole life in hell. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven will be at hand. You'll just never repent enough to get to it. Bill Johnson has the quote, we repent enough to go to heaven, we just never repent enough to get heaven on earth. And Jesus shows up saying, when you pray... Pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But we became so hell conscious and so sin conscious that we begin to pray, God save me so I don't go to hell and then please hurry and get me to heaven. And Jesus said, repent, change the way you think because heaven's not really far away. Heaven's actually really close. Two phrases here. Heaven is either readily accessible and, about to, and within reach 
Or you could have taken it and said, heaven is so close, it's about to happen. This is what he was trying to tell us. And we totally skipped out on this. And we made everything about the kingdom of heaven, heaven in, a, in, in another realm. And when I say heaven, everybody starts thinking of somewhere far, far away above the clouds with streets of gold and giant mansions. And I would love to take time and poke holes in all of that ideology. I would love to take time and let you know that an idea that if you hang on, you get to have a big mansion is the most narcissistic Christianity that we've ever seen. Jesus wasn't saying, I hope you repent so you get to go live in a mansion somewhere far, far away. He was saying, I'm praying you would change the way you think so that everything I've experienced in the spirit realm, you could experience it right here on earth. That is the goal. The goal is not you leaving. The goal is Him coming. The, I'm going to say it again. The goal is not you leaving. The goal is Him coming. But if we're always worried about us leaving, we'll never experience Him coming. And we're wondering why our towns aren't changed, our communities aren't transformed, our schools aren't impacted. Because we're teaching our kids, just say you're really sorry, try to be better, and one day you'll go to heaven. That hasn't changed their school yet. But you know what will change your school? The kingdom of heaven, here on earth, as it is in heaven. That's what this thing is about. So John shows up first and then Jesus follows right behind him saying, you got to change the way you think. Because most of us sitting in churches on Sunday morning only think of heaven is somewhere far above the clouds. And we, just like them in the Bible, think that heaven is so far away. And Jesus showed up and said, I, I need to change the way you think first and foremost because I'm about to show you how close heaven is. And then everything Jesus did from that moment on was proof that heaven was that close. He began to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers. You know what he was doing? He was telling you the kingdom of heaven is this close. You could touch it. But because you thought God was a billion miles away and he was a distant father living in some mansion-filled village in the middle of nowhere, we haven't accessed anything that he says is right here. Why? Because I thought it was so far away. Jesus said, no, you got to change the way you think. Because the further away you think it is, the harder you'll think you've got to work to get to it. Mm, that was a mouthful. But Jesus said, I don't work hard to get to the kingdom. It's right here. It's, it's at hand. It's so close to me. And then he began to say, you want to see how close it is? We've seen it was so close to, well, it was, it was Peter, right? Whose shadow healed somebody? I wanted to say Paul. I thought Paul. It was the kingdom of heaven followed Peter so closely that when he got close to people, they were healed. It wasn't because of his shadow. I know we get hung up on the shadow, but if it was just his shadow, that means everybody laying on the other side of the road, God didn't want to heal. What it meant was everyone that was within the vicinity of him the kingdom was so close to him. Jesus showed up and said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change the way you think about the kingdom of heaven because it's actually right here. So I did write that down, just so if you take notes like me and you're weird about this kind of stuff. The kingdom, kingdom is mentioned 162 times in the New Testament and 80 of them were mentioned by Jesus himself which would also be a very important time to realize if you do any studying in the Bible, you would understand the law of first mention. You know what that means? That means that when you're studying the Bible and you want to find the origin or the foundation of any revelation, you have to find the law of first mention, where it was first said, and use that context to build in the revelation of what God is trying to show you. That's why people get so much of the Scripture out of context because you won't find the originality of it. And so if you want to use that terminology, then the law of first mention would be go back to when Jesus first mentioned the kingdom. And where did he first mention the kingdom? Repent, because it's really close to you. And from then on, he begins to go on three years of teaching about the kingdom and what it's like. But he started every revelation of the kingdom with, it's right here. It's so close to you. It's within reach. So a lot of so I believe 
I'm going to say it like this, because I'm not going to prejudge any of you. For me personally, in the areas of my life where I am not seeing the kingdom of heaven manifested, I have to stop asking God why he's not doing something and realize that Jesus already told me it's within reach. So maybe if I'm not seeing the kingdom of heaven, it's because I'm not reaching for it. There's something in me that still thinks, that still believes that it's not close enough for me to grab it. And so we'll try to force healing and we'll try to force salvation and we'll try to force prophetic words because we feel like we've got to get them to come in here when Jesus didn't force anything. He just so believed that it was right there that when one was needed, he just pulled one out. Whatever it may have been in the moment. And can I, can I throw something out right here? Because we are a, I hope we are, a church that is faith-filled Spirit-filled, we want to see the kingdom of heaven manifested in every possible arena that God wants to manifest the kingdom. But a lot of times what we will do is we will get so consumed with signs, wonders, and miracles that they become the focus of what we're after. And when we focus on a sign, wonder, or a miracle, most often we do not see any of the three, and it becomes the very thing that destroys who we are and what we're doing in the moment. When I begin to study Jesus and then on into Acts and the, the disciples, I see a term that says, and the signs, wonders, and miracles followed them that believed. Them that believed what? Them that believed the kingdom of heaven was at hand, that it was close enough to reach them. And it does not say that they went and found ways to create signs, wonders, and miracles. It says that they lived their life, and everywhere they went, signs, wonders, and miracles began to happen because of the kingdom of heaven. And we've got it so backwards. And when people come in, we immediately try to turn people on to, we got to see signs, wonders, and miracles. No, you got to believe. you got to change the way you think and know that the kingdom of heaven is right here. And it is the expression of every sign, of every wonder, and every miracle. I can't find anywhere where Jesus got up in the morning and thought, you know what, I have to go heal someone today. i got to go give a word of knowledge. No, what I find is Jesus is like, hey, bro, I'm going to sneak out today. And I'm going to go hide somewhere and pray to the Father. Or, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to gather up my friends and we're going to go to a party at a wedding. And along the way, he was the kingdom. And so everywhere he went, guess what happened? Signs, wonders, and miracles kept following him. The problem is when you are trying to create them, they will destroy you. Because we think we need signs, wonders, and miracles, but we don't really believe that the kingdom is right here. Our lives, my life, is the, the proof to myself of how close I really think it is. Because if I believe something, if I want my cell phone, and I believe that it is readily accessible, and at my disposal at any moment that I want, and it's always within reach which it is always within reach, then I don't get stressed out about accessing my cell phone because I know and believe that it is readily accessible and within reach at all times. Now, if my cell phone was in another building somewhere else, it would require a whole lot of work for me to access everything I need in the moment. And so I would begin to work really hard to access something. So because we believe that heaven is in a, another building somewhere far away, and we are convinced that the kingdom of heaven has been placed in the clouds, you know, because how else would that good old gospel ship get us there? <laughs> Sorry, that was, that, was un, that was uncalled for. You see what I'm saying? We thought it was so far away and we've proven that we thought that by the fact that we never get it. We never access it. I never access it. How many times have we went in to pray for something and we will pray and work till we are blue in the face, only to leave without it? This is what was happening in the Bible time and time and time again. And Jesus shows up and says, I don't want you to come say you're sorry because you did a bunch of bad things? Did they need to say they were sorry? Yes. Have you read the Bible? <laughs> the 
they needed to say sorry for a lot of things. But Jesus shows up and said, I'm not looking for your apology. I'm looking for you to change the way you think because I've brought something that's going to be so close to you, but you'll never access it if you think it's too far away. Metanoia. Metanoia, for the kingdom of heaven is within reach. Change the way you think because the kingdom of heaven is within reach. But it takes faith, right? Dad's been doing some incredible teaching on faith to believe that the kingdom of heaven is that close and that accessible. It takes faith. Not works, not stamina, not endurance. It takes faith. It takes believing that what I need to access in the moment is right there. Jason, let's go Romans. Show you how we continue the importance of this. He said, repent, change the way you think, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, I asked, 1 and 2, I asked Jason to pull it up in the Passion Translation. I like some of the wording that he puts in here with it. This, it works so good. And these two, these two scriptures will work good in any translation. I mean, these two scriptures are amazing. Except maybe the message. I haven't read it in that one. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be His sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all the delights, all that delights His heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Check this out. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This when your thought process has been reformed, this will empower you to discern God's will for you to live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Another one, you would probably know this better if I would said, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's painting this picture that there's a kingdom that's so accessible to you, but most of us never access it because of the way we think. It's because of the thought process that we have. And when there's been no reformation of the thought process, then there is no real reformation of you. This is the way I showed the students when we were there. Uh, let's see. We, we've always heard, I asked the students, I said, if you, give me a, your definition of repentance. And the most basic answer I got the whole time was to turn and go the other direction. Which, again, is a, it's a half-truth. Repentance does involve turning and going in another direction. But if you take the real word that Jesus used of metanoia, changing the way you think, you have to learn how the two are married. Okay, And the way it works is, if I say, I'm going to walk over here and speak to Jennifer, then because I thought that I want to go speak to Jennifer my body begins to respond by walking over here to speak to Jennifer. But in the process of going to speak to her, I think, no way, I want to speak to Eli. So because of that thought, now what does my body have to do? It has to turn and go in the opposite direction. So it's not that turning and going the opposite direction is the wrong definition. It's just not the totality of it. And the thing is, we taught... Ask God, tell God you're sorry, and then you turn your butt around and you go the other way. That's exactly what we were taught. So even though in my mind, I still want to go talk to Jennifer, but I'm just forcing myself to go talk to Eli. So the whole way I'm going to talk to Eli, I'm, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to talk to him no matter what. But I keep doing this because I really want to go talk to Jennifer. And if you could be honest, I'm describing the majority of Christians' lives that was going this way at one point, and even though I may have forced my physical body to go back this way, I'm constantly looking back. Because in reality, my mind is still thinking about talking to Jennifer. So I keep looking back in this direction. And that's how most Christians are living their lives. So we're not actually experiencing a transformation within our mind that gets us into the kingdom of heaven. We've just beat our bodies into submission and made ourselves be a better person. And Jesus said, that's not what I was preaching. I was saying, be transformed. There's got to be a reformation of the way you think. Because I may not be walking that way anymore, but I'm thinking about it. And the problem is, if I still think I'm jacked up, 
then even though I may be walking this for a minute, every now and then that jacked up part of me gets to take over. Because in deep within, I still think I'm messed up. I may be putting on a good face and I may show up and do the whole, Hi, brother, how are you? I'm so glad to be here. If I was any better, there'd be two of me. All those crazy sayings we got, you know what I mean? But inside, I still think I'm depressed. Inside, I still think I'm oppressed. So even though my outward body may be showing you one thing, I haven't been set free of anything because I'm still jacked up on the inside. I'm still depressed. I'm still whatever it may be. But religion told me, if you'll just turn around and walk as hard as you can. When he was saying, what I need is a moment in you that changes the thought process within you. That's a true encounter with Jesus where you begin to see it from another place. So I don't just turn and begin to walk in the direction I, 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 I know I'm supposed to. I'm walking in that direction because it's the response of the change that has taken place within me. I'm walking that way because I know who I am now. And I'm not jacked up. I'm not depressed. I'm not broken. I've been transformed. He said, may you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He didn't say, may you be transformed because you were sorry enough and you asked God and begged Him to forgive you enough times. No one, I would be willing to bet, no one has had to go and ask God to forgive them as many times as I have. And I say that because I've been raised in church all my life. So I've been asking him to forgive me since I was like four. I knew. I knew every time I did something wrong. Whew, next Sunday I better get to them altars and say I'm sorry. But it was all just fear. You know why? Because I would come in and I would hear that famous message of, you better tell him you're sorry. You may die in a car wreck on the way home. You'll spend your eternity in hell. So they would scare me just long enough for me to get repent for a minute and say I'm sorry. But I would go right back out and I still thought I was the same person. I still thought I was addicted to porn. I still thought I was a, a, a depressed in my mind. I still thought I was a broken little kid. So I told God I was sorry, and I was sorry. I meant it. I hated being that way. But just being sorry for it wasn't enough to change me. There had to be that moment. There had to be that encounter where God began to change the way I think. He began to change the way I see myself. And if I'm being totally honest, it's taken him, what am I now, 33. It's taken him about 33 years. To get me to figure this out right. I told the kids at camp, I was like, I don't want you to be 33 years old and still thinking about yourself because of that thing that happened to you. That's the problem though. We've just taught you how to say you're sorry and then move on and act like nothing. When in reality he said, no, what I need is something that changes in here. Something that changes in here. Not just a, a dogged determination. To be a better person. He said, no, something's got to change. There's got to be a metanoia. There's got to be a changing the way you think. So let me show you. I don't want to keep you long today. Luke 17. So we, had, we gave you Matthew 4, which was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now we're going to jump to Luke, Luke 17. We're getting to the end of his ministry. And watch this terminology. Watch the evolution of what he's saying here. Uh... Luke 17, 21, Jesus says, Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. All of a sudden, something has changed. Notice a word that isn't there? Repent. So he said, repent because it's close to you. Once you have repented change the way you thought, and you believe that it is that close, now all of a sudden, it's within you. And now I don't have to reach out of me to get anything. The disciples begin to live a life that showed that everything they needed was within them. I like one translation that says the kingdom of, the kingdom of God is already expanding within you. That's good, ain't it? That's the Passion Translation. It says the kingdom of God is already expanding within you. And I love this because he says, I know y'all's thing like, oh, look, heaven's way over there. Heaven's way over there. No, 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 you missed it. See, some people are still thinking that way and you're still thinking heaven's either millions of miles away or heaven's whatever. And, and he said, you still got that. He said, but in reality, 
He's talking to the Pharisees, but he's declaring this about some of his disciples. He's saying, see, you missed it because you religious people are saying, well, the kingdom of heaven has to be there, and the kingdom of heaven has to be in Jerusalem, or the kingdom of heaven has to be billions of miles away with a village filled with mansions. He said, no, 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 you missed it. See these guys around me? The kingdom of heaven's within them. You keep going into the scriptures and studying and trying to figure out where it's at. He said, and I'm here to show you. It's within us. It's within us. The evolution of the revelation of the kingdom is that whether you believe it or not, it's at hand. Remember, he showed up and said, repent, because it is at hand. He didn't say, if you repent, it will be at hand. He said, repent, because it is close. It's right there. It's right close to you. But it's the process of true repentance that changes you from the inside that all of a sudden that that was close to you has now been placed within you. And I believe the whole point of Jesus' three and a half years that he spent with those 12 guys was to get the kingdom from being close to them to being in them so that they could do what they were called to do in the book of Acts. And I love, I love how the book of Acts doesn't have an ending. You ever notice that? The book of Acts doesn't have an ending because the whole goal here was that the book of Acts, which actually means the acts of the Holy Spirit, what he was doing through the apostles, through the believers, through the churches, through the local body. It was never intended to stop. It was always meant to be that one disciple learned, experienced, encountered the kingdom being within them, and then discipled someone else to move from the kingdom being close to the kingdom being within I think that the, a lot of church people have settled for coming to church and being close to the kingdom. And we've got just close enough to be around it so we can talk about it. Oh, it was a good sermon. He did so good. I asked Stephen yesterday, I said, Bob, what did you think about the message I spoke Wednesday night? He thought for a second, yeah, it was really good. What would I say? I don't remember. <laughs> is that not what we do? Come on, if we're just being totally honest. We'll sit down at lunch, like, whoo, pastor brought it today. Really, what was his scripture? Um, it was, uh, you know, that one in the Bible. So what we've done is we've just settled for it being at hand. It's, it's close. I get to come on Sundays, and I experience, and I feel the, feel the goosebumps, and it's amazing. I get all emotional, and it's so good. But the thing is, the kingdom never becomes impactful in your life and in the arenas that you're in until it has been transferred by repentance from close to you to within you. That's the goal. Why have we decided to take on a bunch of wild and crazy teenagers, bring them into our homes, spend hours with them, invest in them, because I don't want them to just grow up close to the kingdom. I want them to grow up with the kingdom inside them. And I don't want them to go back to their schools and talk about a church where you can go and be close to the kingdom. I want them to take the kingdom from here and go put it in their schools. Because I've been in this thing long enough to know that hyped up services, even good spirit-filled services, are great. But they're not changing our high school. Jesus was all for. One thing I hate is when people try to take Jesus' life and tear down the idea of going to church on Sunday. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. How many times does it say, and Jesus went to the temple, and Jesus went and gathered at the temple, and Jesus, he did it way more than we do it. But anyway, that's, that's a side rant. Jesus was constantly doing that, but you know what he was also doing? He was also teaching his disciples how to be in that same kingdom when they were sitting around the campfire when they were at the wedding, when they were being judged by all the religious leaders. He was teaching them how in every area of their life they could stand, have the kingdom within them. That they didn't just have to wait till Sunday morning and go get their kingdom fixed. Because I feel like too often that's what we've become. Come on, if we're just being honest, we're, we're, we're a lot, I don't want to say this disrespectfully, but we're, we're a lot like an addict. And we need to get to church on Sunday, and I need to get my fix. 
and I need to hear the preacher give me a... So I'm jacked up long enough. And by next Sunday, I'll probably be wore out and I'll be, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm hanging in there. I'm, I'm trying to make it, you know what I mean? And then you get in here on Sunday morning and thankfully, our worship band, some pastor, somebody's going to jack you up once again and you'll get your shot, you'll get your fix, and you'll be good hopefully till next Sunday. And that's how we live our lives. Just having moments where we're close enough to the kingdom that it makes me feel alive again. But if it's not within you, if it doesn't go with you to your job, if it doesn't follow you into the grocery store, that's what this thing is about. That's why we do everything we do here. Jesus laid it out so perfectly when they were just, they were so adamant. Jesus, we want to know how to pray. He said, all right, this is how you pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So today I wanted to come and challenge your repentance. I don't even know if that's legal, but here I am. I wanted to challenge our repentance. Has my repentance been just for the sole purpose that one day I don't want to burn in hell? Thankfully to Jesus Christ and His sacrifice, that repentance is available. And if you repent and believe, the Bible says you will not go to hell. You'll get to spend an eternity with Jesus. It won't be, in my opinion, in some mansion far, far away, but it'll be an eternity with Jesus. But there's this, there's this tension I believe we find ourselves in. Where I did ask God for forgiveness, I do believe I'm on my way to heaven, but I don't see heaven. I believe I'm a part of the kingdom. I believe you're a part of the kingdom. My idea of salvation and make it to heaven is probably a lot more liberal than most of y'all's. I just believe God's that good. And I'm all for us all making it to heaven. Getting to spend an eternity with Jesus. But is anyone else stopping lately to think getting to heaven will be great, but I want to see it here. I'm tired of seeing my friends beat down with depression. I'm tired of seeing students addicted to different things. I'm tired of seeing families torn apart because of whatever, selfishness and desires and whatever. I'm... I'm over it. And I begin to go in and ask these hard questions like, why? We've been doing this a long time. And I don't want to belittle the idea of us getting an eternal victory. Like, I don't want to be the guy that has to tear that down and say it's stupid so I can prove my point. That's not what I'm here for. But I do want our mind to start going beyond that. And begin to think, if I make it to heaven, that's great. But what about the person I know right now that's living in hell? Aren't we supposed to be the answer? Isn't the kingdom within us? Isn't the world within us supposed to be the answer to the world around us? And if we believe it is, then maybe we should stop and say, maybe the kingdom is not within me like I think it is. Maybe I don't believe it like I think I do. We have to start challenging ourselves. One of the scriptures Dad has been using a lot just in our conversations and, and even brought it up from the pulpit is the scripture where it says to examine your faith. Like hold that thing up and begin to ask, am I really? <laughs> I mean, I'm committed to church. I help people where I can. I pray. I read my Bible. But if I was to examine my faith, my belief system, do I so believe that the kingdom of heaven is within me that it's beginning to express itself and become the kingdom of heaven that we read in the Bible? I want that. I want that for all of these young people right here. I don't want you to be my age asking why it don't look like the Bible. I want you to so believe you can do it that you leave here and just do it. The disciples were such a, an incredible example because I don't know if you've paid much attention when you're reading about them, but they still had a whole lot of issues. 
Jesus at one point has been with them almost his entire, like he's not far from the cross. And they go out and perform, he sends them out, right? And they're doing such incredible miracles that they come back together and are sharing the testimonies. And they start arguing about who's the best and who's going to get to sit by Jesus. Matter of fact, they're arguing so much about it that I believe it's James and John go to their mother and they're like, hey mom, why don't you go tell Jesus that when we all die, we should get to sit by him? Like, really? After all of this, that's what you're doing right now. But you know what they did? They did believe that the kingdom was in them. Because they begin to go out and express it, show it, experience it. I don't know what kind of crazy things happened when they sent out, but it must have been so wild that when they came back, James and John thought they could call down fire out of heaven and wipe out a whole village. Like, that's wild. These are the things that were happening in their lives. Not because they were so sorry and didn't want to go to hell. That's not why they experienced it in their lives. But because they had had a transformation of the way they thought and they believed that the kingdom of heaven was within them. Now I want to end with this idea. You ready? That being said, why did they believe that the kingdom of heaven was within them? My answer would be because they seen the example of the kingdom of heaven in Jesus. And because they had the personal example in front of them, it gave them the faith to believe it must be within me. At work the other day, we were having a conversation. Somebody had called and asked the question about, it's an it's a age-old question of, why do some people get healed and some people don't get healed? And there is a red sea of gray areas in that question. And there's so many different things that you're not going to nail down the answer to that question. You're just not. But that question stirred up some other questions about faith. And so in the conversation I said, from what I know, my personal knowledge of the Bible... Nearly 100% of Jesus' miracles, he referred to the recipient's faith. He said, by your faith, by your faith. One of them, he said, because of your friend's faith. All of these things. So even though he was saying, by your faith, you have been made whole, how did they have the faith in the moment? Because of the example they had seen in Jesus. For instance, if I was to stand up here, I'm just, I'm just going to show you how it works in my mind, okay? If I was to stand up here and say, if there are any blind people in the room, I want you to come forward. I'm going to pray for you that you would be healed. And I believe there would be a measure of faith. I believe there would be a lot of hope. There would be a whole lot of want to. But it would be what it is. These are the kind of conversations we don't like to have. But if Heidi Baker was to come stand on this platform, now some of you don't even know who that is, and if you don't, you should go look her up. Do yourself a favor. She has personally seen thousands of blind people healed. She runs an incredible ministry in Africa, Mozambique, right? They have seen thousands of blind people healed. So when a blind person who knows that she has seen thousands of blind people healed, you see where I'm going with this? When she stands in the room and says, if there's anybody blind in the room, we want to pray for you. Because of her experience in the kingdom, it stirs their faith. And they show up already expecting to get healed because of the expression of the kingdom in her life. So there's this weird fine line where people come in and don't get healed. And we like to say, well, if you had faith. But their faith can only be reciprocated from the expression of the kingdom in my life. And if I don't have enough expression of the kingdom to stir your faith, then I can't blame it on your faith. I can only blame it on my expression of the kingdom. You see this balance here? Why am I saying this about faith? 
Because this shows you the, the importance of living with the kingdom within us. The kingdom within us is what stirs the faith in those people because they think, man, he's done seen hundreds of people healed. So they come with their faith already ready because they know it's possible. Why do they know it's possible and have faith? Because of the experience of the kingdom in our lives. I'm doing this to stir you. I want the experience of the kingdom in our lives to be so real and so great that people come here already having the faith that they're going to be set free. Already having the faith that they're going to be restored. I don't care if they're addicted to whatever there is on the face of this planet. I don't care if they're, they're into same-sex marriages. I don't care what they are in. There should be enough expression of the kingdom here that when they come, they already have the faith because they've heard of the kingdom. So many instances you see where in the Bible, because of the expression of the kingdom in the disciples' life and in Jesus' life, people came to them already expecting it to happen. That's what I want to be a part of. I want to quit using the excuse of, well, if they had more faith, can I tell you what will stir up that faith? That faith? An expression of the kingdom. Not a good message, not good worship. The kingdom of heaven being expressed. There's been a prophetic word given over Life Church that ambulances would pull up here and bring people here. That they would ask the person in the ambulance, would you rather go to the hospital or would you rather go to Life Church? That's the prophetic word over this house. But why in the world would someone say, take me to Life Church at this moment? They have no reason to. There's no expression that stirs up a faith for them to want to come here instead. I'm just, I'm saying this for me, y'all. I'm not taking shots at anyone. I'm telling you where I'm at. And I begin to ask God questions like, why aren't more students trying to get in here? Why aren't the addicted running to here? The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven, uh, how's that scripture go? And they will press their way into it. You know, in that scripture, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, not church, not good services, not really good programs. He said when it's the kingdom of heaven, they'll press their way into it. That's what I want to see. I want to see them press their way in. I want to see this building full of those that come already believing. I'm going to be set free if I get there. I've seen what the kingdom does in that place. I've seen what the kingdom... I want to see that student campus over there with students trying to get their way in because they know inside they're broken and they're hurting. They're already addicted at the age of 13. They're already dealing with things that we couldn't even imagine. But I pray for an expression of the kingdom that we so believe it's within us that they know if I can just get there. The woman said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. She didn't just wake up one day and have this incredible faith that some random guy was going to heal her. She heard the stories. She heard the stories that when Jesus shows up, everybody gets healed. When Jesus shows up, nobody leaves broken. And because of the stories that stirred her faith, she came in already expecting it. That's what this place should look like. That's what our lives should look like. Ten men from ten nations will jerk on your robe and say, I need to know your God. If I'm being honest with you, I can't remember the last time somebody come up, tapped on my shoulder and said, I need to know the God you serve because the kingdom of heaven is so great in your life. These are the kind of questions I have to ask myself. So today I want to challenge you to move on from what the Bible calls the elementary principles of salvation where you ask for forgiveness and you don't go to hell. That's great. I'm, I'm, that's worth celebrating over, the Bible says. All of heaven celebrates over that. But it goes beyond that too. now that you're a part of heaven, now you must bring heaven, express heaven, express the kingdom. I believe this is where we're headed. I believe that we're headed to an expression of the kingdom that begins to stir the faith of the community. And when the faith of the community is stirred, deliverance is brought, revival is there. That's how this thing works. We're not looking for a big bang theory. We're looking for people 
who live with the kingdom of heaven within them. And it becomes the deliverance for the people around them. Can I pray with you before we get out of here today? I hope, I hope this type of word starts to create a tension within you. I think we have to be exposed to revelations that begin to stir tension within us. Because I believe true revelation is found in the tension of contradicting things. And you know what's very contradicting? The Bible and my life. If, I'm just, if we can just stop for a moment, shut everything else out, and just be totally honest, my life and the Bible contradict one another. My life is not the expression of the kingdom of heaven that I read in the Bible. And because of it, it creates this tension in my life. And it has to bring me into this understanding of repentance, of metanoia, of changing the way I think, of believing that that kingdom is actually within me, of stepping into a realm of faith that gives me access to everything that Jesus has already done. So today I want to challenge you as we begin to pray. I'm asking you to begin to ask these hard questions in your own life. Begin to examine your, yourself and ask, do I want that? Do I want to see the expression of the kingdom of heaven in my life? Or have I just become content with living close to it? If I can just be there on a Sunday morning, if I can hang around better people, if I can just be a better person, then that's enough. And if that's enough for you then so be it, and I pray that one day we see you in the great by and by. But I'm praying for a remnant of people who are saying, you know what? I want to so believe that the kingdom of heaven is within me, that it begins to affect those that are around me, that it begins to be the expression of everything God called me to live in, that I begin to so believe and have faith in the kingdom of heaven, that it's not some fantasy place far, far away, but it's actually a place that is so close. It's its hand. It's readily accessible in my life to begin to express the goodness of God, and it's the goodness of God that draws men under repentance. So, Father, right now, I'm praying over every person that's sitting in this room. I pray from the oldest to the youngest. We begin to examine our faith. We begin to really examine what we believe. We begin to pray and ask that, that the Holy Spirit would come and begin to, to transform, renew our minds. I pray for a reformation within the way we think. God, we've got to think better. You said your thoughts are not our thoughts. And since your thoughts are not our thoughts, your ways are not our ways. It begins in our thoughts. So we, we're asking for a reformation of the mind. We're asking for a reformation of, of our thought process. That we begin to so believe we have access to the kingdom of heaven that we begin to walk in it. And we quit getting so hung up on how many times we apologize and we begin to believe that if you thought we were good enough to put the kingdom of heaven within us then we must be good enough to access everything that you have given us father help us today to understand that by your sacrifice we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and because of that we have become ambassadors who have come to express a kingdom that is far greater than anything we could ever imagine and lastly, God, I am sorry. I do repent that I have been such a poor representation of such a beautiful kingdom. God, I repent that I've been such a lackadaisical and mundane representation of a kingdom that's full of passion and desire, that's full of love and grace and mercy. Father, forgive me for every area that I have misrepresented the kingdom of heaven in this community, in my family, on my job, wherever it's been. God, I just want to represent the kingdom well. I want to believe that it's so within me that it starts to be expressed around me. God, I want to believe that the, the world within me is the answer for the world around me. Father, I pray the prayer of the, of the man who brought his boy to the disciples. When he got to Jesus, he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe in so much of this 
But I'm asking you to begin to help the part of me that's struggling to believe, that has the doubt that I, me personally, could carry the kingdom of God. Jesus started with repent because it's close to you. But through the process of walking with Jesus, he begins to say, and now the kingdom of heaven is within you. Believe it this morning. I'm asking you to just believe that God has chosen to put the kingdom of heaven in you. The Bible says that there's been a great gift put in these earthen vessels. It was for you, but you have to change the way you think to believe that he would take the greatest gifts that he has and deposit them into you so that you could express and represent his kingdom the way that Jesus did. Father, we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Go ahead, Anita. Thank you for listening to this Life Church podcast. 